This is Democracy in Crisis, and I'm Baynard Woods, back here from the Real News Network studios in Baltimore, Maryland, with my co-host, Mark Steiner. All right, Baynard, how you doing? I'm doing good, man. How you doing, Mark? I'm good, I'm good, good, good. Things are good, and uh, Center for Emerging Media is still alive, and... Our Sonner Show's podcast is still alive. You're still alive? I'm still alive. Yeah. And that's the big fucking thing. I'm still alive. No doubt. I'm still alive, too. <laughs> I, I uh, Still not back in my apartment yet. We're still... Uh, You're still not in your apartment yet? Yeah, man. It's it's a rough year so far for 2018 and personal shit, but... Uh, well, not all personal shit, because you still have a lovely lady, and you guys are together and enjoying your life. That is true. That's that, right? That is true. Okay. Um, so, only yeah, only in terms of housing and... and uh, but... Yeah, I mean, it, and you don't have a car to fuck up, right? Don't have a car to fuck up, <laughs> and it's it's and the dogs doing well, and the dog saved our lives, and but but our fucked up thing is a mirror of the whole <laughs> fucked up world at, at the moment, anyway. So I I certainly can't complain. It, it has shown me how easy it would be to become homeless, you know? Yes. How easy if you don't have right. a system there to catch you, right? Uh, and I mean, because it's it's not been great for our our mental states. We. My wife, you mentioned, started teaching yesterday, and, and we haven't had any clothes for a month now. And I have one. That's why you look like that? Yeah, that's why I look like this, man. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it, it's uh, it's easy to see how 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 easy it would be to drop just no, it, look, man, it, it, for For most of us, the reality is that we are all, not all, but the majority of people that I know are months away from being homeless. They could be... They have nothing. They lose their job, lose their money. It's over. And then when you think about it, there was no homelessness really in America before the early 80s when it really right. began. Right. I mean, you exist. had you had like during the Dust Bowl, you had the the and in, in the 30s, you had the refugees right. from places who ended up, but but not homelessness like we see modern homelessness no, at all. Didn't exist. It's a public policy decision that made that happen. The United States is the only Western developed world where where public housing is an anathema. It's a dirty word. You know, it's um, everywhere else on the planet. It means whether you're working class, middle class, or poor, that you have a place to live. So speaking of that, and we'll work around, I guess, to the uh, to the State of the Union in a little bit. Although yeah, let's it already, get into it. Yeah, I was just... a year ago. But have you been following the the updates in the story about Ben Carson and and speaking of public housing and <laughs> The conflicts of interest with, uh, and when he was here not too long ago doing the tour of public housing right. and stuff, he said that, well, he had to use his son to arrange it. He was one of the biggest people. And, and it's this huge conflict of interest thing that Carson is, you know, in the true Trumpian way, is uh, enriching his family through through being the head of HUD. I, you know, I, why? Am I surprised? No. Yeah. I mean, this administration, you know, when you have your daughter... Sitting on G seven, it's just like this. It's like this fiefdom, you know. I'm I have to go somewhere else, so I'll have my daughter sit in because she's. It's it's insane. I I don't even have words for it anymore. It's just. It, yeah, it really is, and and I mean, one more thing on Ben Carson. While we're at that, I don't yeah. know if you remember the Guardian did a photo essay of his house. Um, you know, this is the guy in charge of our national public housing policy. And in his house, he has these pictures of him with Jesus standing together. Oh, yes. Right, right, right. And then carved into the wall is Proverbs, but it's misspelled as Proverbs. also. It's just insane. I know. I, I have to make it. I have to admit something here. It won't be pleasant. Uh-oh. It was a long time ago, though. 
was a good 10 years ago, maybe 12. I don't know. It was a while back. I played pool at his house. Wow. Yeah. Tell, tell me about that. If we had mutual friends, and uh, there was a thing he had every year, which was people coming over to shoot pool. And um, so we, you know, just uh, hung out and shot pool. And I brought one of my daughters, who's a pool shark. <laughs> Chelsea's really an amazing pool player. And um, it's, you know, look, Ben Carson, I gotta say this, he's always been a very conservative guy. Something happened in the last several years, though, it's just a different Ben Carson than I remember, even as a conservative um, thinking human being. Something is just very different about the man. Yeah, one of our, our mutual friends, I think a great writer here, who, who profiled uh, Carson for Baltimore Magazine 10 or so years ago, called him a genius and deeply regrets. <laughs> I'm not even mentioning his name. He, he deeply regrets that bit of prose so much at this point. Um, so, yeah, so we had we had the State of the Union this week. We have <laughs> the release the memo uh, that's about to be happening at any moment. Um, and so so tell me, what do you make of the what did you make of the State of the Union? I, I uh, mm. but, you know, I tweeted a lot. I, I at first I wasn't going to watch it all. I some, you know, just was not just not going to do it. Then something came over me and I got on the Internet and said, let me see what he's, this fool's going to say. And I should, first of all, you, it's, he didn't speak like his usual fourth grade self because he had a teleprompter. Um, but what Which, he. Which, can you believe first, just to, to interrupt yeah. one second, that again, like the headlines of, of, I think it was the Post that day, was uh, State of the Union, chance for Trump to reset. And oh, he's finally, you, you're still hearing, though, he's presidential. Finally, kind of stuff like, how many times are you going to use that shit? And he, presidential, he, I don't know what that means when it comes yeah. to, I mean, what what he did, one of the things that really struck me is the people around him are very clever. They're very clever, like at what it was clever for Bush, where they used people of color and black folks to set themselves up against immigrants and creating this whole, I mean, it was just unseemly. I mean, that, that's what blew my mind about almost everything. I mean, just they, this, 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 these, this, these two couples whose daughters have been killed, blaming it on MS-13, blaming it on, 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 on brown people killing these children. I mean, and setting black folks up against Latinos. You could, I mean, it was just, it was, it was, they, they it was, a, they conspired to do this. This wasn't a mistake. They couldn't, that's why they picked the folks they picked. That to me was the most horrendous thing. Um, it goes back to the anti-Catholic things of the, 19, of the 1800s. If you read our history, I mean, this is what we did in the 1880s, 1890s. It was going after the Catholics, right? Um, who are now white people. <laughs> they weren't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, this, this whole nativist thing it, it, is a, so 19th century. It really is. And so I mean, I, that, that hit me more than anything. I just could not get, uh, couldn't get away from that, just watching what he did and how they staged that. Uh, theatrically, it was really sickening. I mean, just it, it's sickening to me too the level at which even Democrats still acted like this was a thing that I mean, remember a few years ago, Joe Wilson yells out, "You lie!" Um, right? You know that they, the Republicans, showed showed zero respect for the other side, and the Democrats still sit there through this. It, it. Um, I mean, I, I feel like there should. At some point, there needs to be a mass boycott of um, no Democrat in that room for that. 
Well, I mean, it, it, look, it's it's it, it's. I mean, the Democrats just can't find their center. They can't find how to do more than just say we oppose Trump. They're not coming up with anything that says this is what we plan to do. They're not coming up with anything to excite people and saying we rally around us. We have a fight to make. We have to save our country. They're not doing anything like that. And 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 they really, I feel like they're flailing. If every one of them had gone back to their home districts with a big old bag of naloxone to right. reverse overdoses. Right. Trump talked for 64 seconds, I think, about the opioid crisis. Right. Days after his... A uh, new 24-year-old drug czar was resigning, had to resign from, uh, you know, if they would have done something like that while that was going on, the same way, remember when Trump refused to go to that Republican debate um, and said that he was going to do a fundraiser right, for right. veterans, I think, instead, and he got all of this press for that. Why aren't they doing that on him? Like, hey, we're going to refuse to do this, but every Democrat's going to be in their home district at a soup kitchen serving Look, There are needy. brilliant creative people who back the Democrats. Yeah. They couldn't call on these creative people to go help us design something that really talks to America to, to make this thing work. I mean, it's, it's, it just blows my mind. I mean, I surely will be seeing a dear friend of mine who is in Congress, and, um, and I'm going to um, lay that all out. I'm just going to say, what is going on? Y'all are just blowing this. You may win back the Senate. That's possible. But that's not even the question. Yeah. You know, and I think that when you watch Trump, I was I, I was thinking about all the tweets I did, you know, and I was thinking that the way he used human pain to, to, to implement their kind of repressive policies, it was f- so fascistic. I mean, I just... It hurt me to watch this. It was just, you know, and then you, you know, I realized that the weird thing was I realized that both President Clinton and President Obama <laughs> said some very similar things about learning how to speak English. We can't have these people come, come across the border illegally. So, but they did it with a nuanced way that wasn't as blatantly racist and nativist and frighteningly fascist. Not absolving them. I'm just right. saying, you know. Yeah, I mean, in the fa- on the fascist sort of level of it, I, I was tweeting out satirical uh, tweets as if Trump was talking about Baltimore's gun trace task force, which um, you've been covering intensely. Yeah, so they right. two of them have been on trial. The others have pled guilty already and are testifying against their. Many of them are testifying against their t- co-defendants, and the level of corruption and depravity has just been. Completely astounding, but it it shows this is Wayne Jenkins, the leader of that task force, is the epitome of the Trumpian persona. He thought he ruled the city. He thought he could do anything he wanted. He thought he was completely free of, he was cheating on everyone and everything all the time. Like, he would set it up. Today, uh, uh, bail bondsman Donnie Stepp testified, and Stepp uh, ran double D bail bonds. Um, oh, right, right. Which has this on their trucks has this woman's breasts and I've seen big, it right yeah this big sort of joke thing there and he's the most decent guy uh, who was was sort of <laughs> on the stand uh, for some of these days and you know he was he was testifying that while Jenkins and the other members of this task force were planning to go hit these guys and rob them he would try to send them there him there first so he could rob it and Jenkins could even rob from the other cops. Um, and that just struck me as like an amazingly Trumpian thing to do. 
mean, one of the things that came out today was that this that the Sergeant Jenkins showed up at the bail bond guy's house mm-hmm. and what during what he called the Freddie Gray riots. Um, with bags full of pharmaceuticals that they had stolen from the pharmacies. Remember, this is the narrative. They, the police, or they, the people looting, and they got took it from them. Well, he said that they took it from the people who that he took it from the people who are robbing the pharmacies. Okay. Now, whether they actually hit some of the pharmacies is has yet to to become clear. A lot of people think that they did. Um, but, you know, remember, this is the situation where everyone, Baltimore had a murder spike and everyone blamed it on the people who stole the drugs and were selling those drugs. That whole lie that was told, right? Well, is it a lie now? The police commissioner said that. So who stole and was selling those drugs? If it was the selling that disrupted, remember right. he said it disrupted the supply chain and that caused all of this. So is, are all those deaths on Jenkins now, according to the former That's police commissioner yeah, 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 and yeah, all right, the police right, department? Right. Um but this is, if people want to see, and I'm amazed that there's not as much national media there as there should be. The The Washington Post was there one day. Uh, the the great Alec McGillis, who's, who uh, you know lives here in Baltimore but writes for ProPublica, has been there for, for them. Um, and uh, BBC has had someone there. But, but otherwise, it's virtually no national Why press. Why do you think that is? Um, you know, everyone was there for the the Freddie Gray, the trials of the Freddie Gray officers, and as bad as that was, and and you know he lost his life, and it, it was indicative of the kind of over policing we see in neighborhoods like Sandtown. Um, but this goes so much further, and it's so much. Ram, one of the officers, testified on the stand the other day that his partner Momadou Gondo had laid someone out with the implication that he'd murdered someone. That he bought a gun, helped a murderer go buy a gun to murder someone with. Um, Isn't Gondo one of the people who are testifying, though? Uh, Rayum testified, and Gondo, Gondo hasn't yet. I think he's going to, but it's still sort of unclear how uh-huh. who's, who all's going to end up testifying. Um, but more and more officers keep getting named. IAD officers were tipped them off that they were that they were being investigated a state someone in the state's attorney's office a prosecutor tipped them off they were being investigated and that name hasn't come out yet. no officer Ryan Gwynn, though his name did come out as tipping them off and he was also involved in a 2010 case where Jenkins and detective Souter the the cop here who got murdered uh chased someone tried to rob them chase them they ended up in a car crash they called a uh, right. Sergeant to come and they planted an ounce of heroin. So to me, uh, one of the things that makes this thing blow up for an, as a national story and should be a national story is this is what Trumpian law and order looks like, you, where you diminish the rule of law and you give excessive pa- and you use other people's pain and you use crisis, opioid crisis, murder crisis, all of these things to give an unlimited amount of power to certain individuals. Instead of having an actual rule of law. And I mean, that's what I think they're trying to do with this release the memo um, thing, you know, with wanting to release right. Nunez's memo right. uh, attacking the FBI. I mean, but we also got to remember that this really began, we talked about the other week with the omnibus crime bill that Clinton put out in 1996, if I have that right. Um, which is, you know, first of all, the police have always felt that they could do what they wanted to do. A certain number of police have. But this is just let open the floodgates. And I think that because um, who's going to say anything when you're just robbing a bunch of poor folks and poor black folks in the street and taking their drugs and, you know, 
and doing what you will, that's fine. I was going to turn a blind eye. I didn't think they'd be caught at doing that. I really thought they probably. I really think they thought they were not going to be caught. Obviously. Yeah, and they they thought it, that's exactly it. It's the structural issue of they think. I mean, one of the crazy things that's come up in the trial with the defense questioning. They they keep bringing up people who have been arrested for drug dealing of various things who were robbed by them. Um, and the defense attorneys in this case, because they're defending the police officers, are saying, you know, oh, well, you had a large amount of money. You must be a drug dealer. And then in another case, the same day, oh, well, you were in this neighborhood. You had small bills. Well, you were a drug dealer. And it's like if you're black in the city and you have any amount of money whatsoever, right. you must be a drug dealer. If you have big money, you're a drug dealer. If you have small money, you're a drug dealer. It's just like that. that's You're these... carrying a knapsack. Yeah. You're, you're a drug dealer. If you drive an Acura, you're, you're a, drug a drug dealer. You're a drug dealer, right. It, it's so that you're already criminalized by who you are, and then these people can do anything to you, and they're not criminal, no matter how depraved and criminal their actions, because they uh, are, aren't are criminal by nature. It's like this Manichaean Calvinist view of the world, racist Calvinist view of the world. No, exactly. And I, so the question I think you raised earlier, though, is, and I think it's really important to kind of probe is how wide, how deep, how high does this go? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, and it's a weird thing with, with, uh, yeah, whether this police department will be able to survive this, uh, you know, this a month long trial is, is yet to be seen. There, there are people, the city councilman Ryan Dorsey called, has been calling, uh, following citizens for the BPD, the Baltimore Police Department, to be disbanded. Um, but not to focus too much on Baltimore, it is a weird thing sitting in there, too, that the FBI sitting there with the federal prosecutors. Um, and it's odd to sort of feel yourself rooting for the FBI and, and for federal prosecutors. <laughs> right. But that's what we're going through nationally as well with Trump, with a lot of uh, the Democrats are really, you know, Mueller is like fucking Jesus. Um, not fucking Jesus, but is Jesus. Um don't want to give the Republicans any. I hear the Mueller's having an extramarital affair with the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, but but that there's this weird thing where the the administration and the Republicans are calling for lawlessness at a certain level, and the Democrats are being in this place where they're defending the FBI, defending um, place things that you know COINTELPRO and. Uh, you know, people like us right. have always been very suspicious of the FBI. Well, look, I, this is, it is very strange. I thought about I was being thinking about this a lot. I mean, as someone who was victimized by the FBI a lot over a 20-year period, um, to sit here and find myself defending the FBI is a very strange place to be. Yeah. <laughs> very strange place. Um, but Mueller, so this is the thing. We can't say because somebody as a really right-wing conservative thinker like Mueller is, he can still have integrity and ethics, right? I think he does have integrity and ethics. Um, And I think he probably would do some things to shut people like us down if he could. I think that's true too. Right. Right? But the problem with Trump is he's taken on somebody who is difficult to take down the way he's trying to do. And I think that's this 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 is undermining Trump, and it could really undermine his presidency. Kind of attacking Mueller, um, who's universally universally respected by most Republicans and Democrats. Um, and I think that's we cannot let ourselves be caught up in the trick bag of saying, "Oh, the great FBI," how, <laughs> right? 
But but I think in this instance, we're all being put there because we're in a place where people are terrified that the institutions are going to fall apart and they have to be defended, whether right. we agree with that or not. And that's where we are. And I think that their, their way of life is being threatened by Trump. Yeah, for sure. And, and yeah, the, the many of our institutions are being threatened. The, the, you know, as Bannon promised, the, the deconstruction of the administrative state. Um, you know, we're running for the column this week, a great story out of Bend, Oregon, about uh, reversing all of the stuff that, that it's taken like 10 years on the sage grouse um, to protect the sage grass, like Zinke's just undermining all of that, giving it all to, to mining. Right. Um, sort of on every level we look at, that's that's where uh, where things are going. Even Nixon was forced. Yeah. To to when you talk about the environment, he was forced into becoming the environmental president. I mean, that's sort right? of the, that thing that Chomsky says is is that Nixon was the last liberal president um, because he was sort of forced to be because we had liberal. Congress right. and, and institutions forcing him in, in that direction. Now it's the opposite where, you know, the Democrats get forced into being conservative. And, and who knows that Barack Obama may one day, uh, some Chomsky of the future may end up calling Barack Obama the last conservative president. <laughs> um, right? Because because he's very conservative in some ways compa- compared to Trump, uh, who's very right wing but not conservative at all. Is a, a radical right. revolutionary. He's, he's a vacuous authoritarian. Yeah, yeah, that's a great description. <laughs> hey, so I want to end this today with yeah. a, a little bit of a confession of, of a fuck-up I had. Uh-oh. So we talked last week about fentanyl and the story that I was writing about oh, yeah, this yeah, dude yeah, who, yeah, yeah. who was using drug testing strips to help people test their street dope. Tino Fuentes is his name. Really impressive dude. Uh, in the lead of the story... Kick myself. So in the what? Lead, in the lead, he described himself to me as a as an ex junkie, as an ex user, um, as an ex dealer, uh, you know, and and doing the thing that I rarely do, but I did in this case, sort of cleaned up someone's language, and and you, and so I called him a recovering addict. He was pissed because wanted to kick my ass. Literally, literally wanted to kick my ass. Yeah, um, because. Uh, that puts this whole stigma and ideology that he doesn't believe in, addiction, recovery, being clean. So when you're not clean, you're dirty. If you use drugs, you're dirty. This this whole, uh, I interviewed him last night again about the, um, after when I first talked to him and he, he um, was saying he hoped that he, he didn't threaten to kill me, uh, that he was so mad he couldn't even remember what he had, had wow. said at first. And uh, he didn't threaten to kill me. He did threaten to kick my ass. Uh, but didn't did, did not did, kick your ass. Did not kick my ass. But, but had every reason to be pissed off at me. Had had really uh, because you use those terms. Yeah, yeah. Because it's it's using terms to describe someone that aren't the ones that they would would choose. You know, it's it's uh, I don't know, like the like calling someone who's gay an invert. You know, using like nineteenth <laughs> century terminology or something. And, and well, so, so what was so wait a minute. So what does he want to be referred to as? As an ex-user. He's like, I, what, as opposed to a recovering addict. What are you to say I was an addict? Who, who are you to say that? Who are you to say that I, I'm in recovery? What does that even mean? He's like, some people might want to use that, but I, I don't acknowledge those categories. So 
Why would, why I would I? I do understand that. And so it, to me, I just want to I want to mention it. And, and to, you know, as a public sort of apology uh, was the gotcha. column this week, too, talking about him. But also as a way to to just sort of stress to, to anyone out there to think about the words that you're using uh, about people uh, that when we're putting our own. And, and those are things those are concepts that I don't really believe in either. And I allowed the, the sort of language of the state and of this whole apparatus of treatment programs and all of this other stuff to dictate not only my language, because I didn't even think about the language right. because it had dictated my thinking. So it, it shows how we all have the sort of, uh, you know, like, like Deleuze and Guattari would say or whatever, the micro-fascist uh, within well, We do have this thing, like, I'm glad you said that. I mean, I think it's important to, to, to throw those things out in the public when those things have happened. And, and in my life, I have known and been very close to some of my closest friends have been deep into heroin um, over the years. And and some of them also would say, no, don't. Some of them would say, yeah, I was an addict. Some of them would say, don't use that term. But all of them functioned. I mean, they functioned. One of my closest friends in life was a heroin, used heroin deeply for 25, maybe 30 years. You know, the whole time he was doing it, he was IBM's top troubleshooter. They sent them all across the globe to, to fix things that went went wrong. Everywhere he went, he took his works, found what he had to find, and did his job. So we do, we, you know, we mix things up in terms of, of of thinking what people are and the words we use and how we condemn them for the for the for for, for the what, whatever they're using. And I think that that's interesting. I, that'd be I'd be um, that'd be a whole interesting thing to explore. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, in greater depth. Yeah, I talked to him for a while about it last night, and I'm going to use that to write a little correction. And then, but I was wanting to get him on video here at the Real News so we can can. Do a longer conversation, and and uh, you know, and because it, it goes to other things, the kind of words that people choose to define right. themselves rather than exactly. us placing them in a category. I agree completely. Yeah, cool. All right, well, good man. Much love and grim solidarity, y'all. This is Democracy in Crisis. I'm Baynard Woods. I'm Mark Steiner. Power to the people. 